If you have your Bibles, please open to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 10, we're finishing it up. Romans chapter 10, we're actually going to start from one verse that we covered last week, Romans chapter 10, verse 13, and we're going to go all the way through verse 21, the end of the chapter there. Romans is an incredible book. It covers a lot of ground, and when we first started, uh, the very first Sunday that, where we introduced this book, uh, there were a great number of things that I said that the book of Romans covered. What is the purpose of life? How are we to live? What is sin? What is eternal life? How do we have eternal life? It covers an amazing amount of ground, and it's incredibly deep. And sometimes you can get lost in all that deepness. And this morning, uh, the Apostle Paul, inspired by God, makes it really, really simple. And so this morning I've entitled the message, How Does It All Work? Because the Apostle Paul asked this question four different times in the verses we're about to cover. How? This very basic question that we sometimes forget to really address in the church. We show up to church, we leave church, we do activities, but how does it all work together? What, what is it all about? And one of my favorite photos that I've ever seen of all time was of Special Forces, specifically the Navy SEALs. And it's this, this photo above me, and it's a guy jumping out of the plane with fins on about, I don't know, 10,000 feet above the ocean. And I have to imagine, right as he's walking up to the edge to, to make that final jump, he pauses and go, how does all this work again? <laughs> it's like, I, I know it's real simple. I just have to make the decision to leap. But let's go over all the details just a little bit more. Because can you imagine that first meeting that they have where some guy suggests this? He goes, yeah, hey, Bob, we've got a plan. This involves you and just like three other guys. We want you to get dressed up in scuba gear. Then we're going to strap a kind of bulky thing on your back. And I know this sounds crazy, but it's a parachute, right? And I know parachute and scuba gear don't go together. But then we're going to load you up on a plane. And we're going to fly this plane out into the middle of the ocean at about ah, 10, 15,000 feet, a few hundred miles an hour. And then here's the cool deal. We're going to throw you out of it. We're going to put some fins on you, so hey, you've got that going for you. Well, maybe you can jump, and once you fly, fall, kind of like a rock, all the way towards the ocean, in the middle of nowhere, you pull the parachute, then you hit the water, you get all that off, and then you swim down, and you, you kind of connect with a submarine underneath the water. And then once you're in there, they're going to take you where you need to go. And, and I can just imagine Bob going, Let's review that again. <laughs> Let's go over that one more time. How does all that work again? Because I noticed you're not really a part of that you know, analysis. This is Bob doing it. And sometimes that's kind of the attitude we get when we attend church. We think, well, I'll go and I'll listen, but it's someone else that's going to be doing the work, and I, you know, I can just kind of sit back and, and attend. And the Apostle Paul doesn't say that at all. He begins with a, a very simple decision that is fundamental to Christianity. In verse 13 of chapter 10, which really closes the section that we covered, but it sums it all up, this basic belief. He says, for everyone, and he does mean everyone, not some, not a few, not most, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Not everyone who's baptized, not everyone who goes to church, not everyone who gives some money, not everyone who's just kind of good, comparatively so. He says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, Jesus, is who he's referring to there, 
shall be saved. And obviously that begs the question of saved from what? And all that that we went into last week. But it comes to this simple decision in life. You have to call out. You have to make a decision to pray, to speak, whatever the case may be between you and God and acknowledge him as Lord of your life. Not just, ah, yeah, you're the big guy in the sky. (laughs) Those sorts of things. Have you heard friends talk about that? Oh, yeah, me and the big guy, like, we're close. No, lordship means he's in control of your life. You're submitting. You're all in. You're a part of the plan. And that is a simple, individual decision that we all must make. And some in here have not made it. Odds are, in a group this size. And you have to wonder, you know, why wouldn't they, right? You're you're promised eternal life, forgiveness of sin. You're promised uh, freedom from sin now as far as its enslavement. You're promised a new family, brothers and sisters, who love you despite all that sin. I mean, it sounds great, this pursuit of holiness, becoming like Christ. Why wouldn't you want to be a part of that? And as you think about it in your mind, you would like, yeah, why wouldn't I want to be a part of that? Well, there are a number of reasons, perhaps, that you wouldn't want to be a part of it. Maybe you don't know, or maybe you've never heard. And the Apostle Paul lays out a few questions here. How does this all work? In verse 14, he says this. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? In other words, how can they call on someone they don't know? And how can they call on someone that they actually haven't believed in? In other words, you first have to have some sort of faith in order to call. You have to make that decision. And if you don't know the biblical story, it's hard to have faith. And that might seem odd sitting here in this church. We cover it pretty well most of the time. But think about it. How many churches in this community are actually even preaching the gospel today? You might be surprised, but very few. There are very few, numerically, I'm talking small number of churches in this small community that actually believe the Bible is the word of God, the inerrant word of God. Most do not. And that may be surprising to you, but we can go into that later. But that is a true statement not only of this community, but probably the vast majority of churches today in America. So when you realize that a lot of people might not have actually heard the truth, it might motivate you to really dig in and say, wait a minute, how do I fit in to this mission that we're about to go over? Because you do have a part. You're a part of the kingdom of God. And so he says, how then will they call on him who they, they have not believed? In the second part of verse 14, he says, and how are they to believe in him who they've never heard? The good news, the gospel must be proclaimed at some point. Now that might sound odd, But think about it like this. Do you really enjoy inviting people to hear the gospel? We've done a a tremendous job as a church. We started out uh, this year as our first time to be a participant in Operation Christmas Child. All the other churches have been doing it. I kind of felt like I was a slacker because I hadn't been a part of it. We're getting on it, though. You guys are doing a great job. And, And I've heard stories individually of many of you of like going to the store and with your kids even and you're, you're picking out supplies and you're having a good time putting all these 
little goodies in the box and knowing that this is going to go to some poor child or orphan around the world and someone's going to share the gospel with them. And you're having fun doing that. And you're sacrificing time and money to do it. And you're doing it with a smile. But you have to realize, ultimately, someone's got to explain the gospel. There's a missionary there on the ground. And they take the time to audibly explain the good news of Jesus Christ. And so they are a part of it, and you doing what you're doing are supporting it. But even here in America, this time where we open up the Bible and, and we read it and teach it and learn it and hopefully apply it, that's proclaiming the gospel. And sometimes we enjoy sending money, supplies, and people around the world more so than we do in church. Attending, inviting, small group, preaching. And we really look at this time as almost secondary or tertiary to some of the other things that we do. But I got to tell you, there was a time when someone proclaimed the gospel to me. And it was at a church camp. But even though I got saved at camp, when I would come on Sunday mornings and hear people actually explain and proclaim the truth of the very word of God, I, I realized I wasn't alone. I wasn't crazy. I was hearing someone else say this, and they got it. But there are times if you drift from being a part of a body or a fellowship, and, and you're kind of this lone ranger Christian, you begin to almost follow your own way in, in a lot of ways. You're saying, yeah, I believed in God, but you're not a part of that proclamation of the gospel. I can tell you one of the, the sweetest times of my life is I'd kind of walked away from church after high school or first couple of years of college, and I walked into what was called the Baptist Student Union at, on Oklahoma State is where I went and got my undergraduate degree, and I'd walked into this little building on campus. Uh, I'd quit going to church. I, I'd kind of really thrown church under the bus, and a, and a lot of Christians actually do that. If they don't uh, get what they want, if they don't see it, as offering a buffet of stuff that they like rather than jumping in, participating. They just walk away. And, and I'd done that, and I walked into the student union, and, uh, and I heard, like, for the first time in two years, the name of Jesus being proclaimed as Lord, the name above all names. And I it was just so sweet to finally hear that once again. And that's crazy enough how God wants it. He wants the gospel spoken and proclaimed. He says, how are they to hear without someone preaching it in the final part of verse 14? This preaching does mean preaching. It means to a large group of people. It can be in a public place in the Greek New Testament, or it can be in a, in a house church. They didn't have churches like this back in the day. But here's the thing. When I was a student, the last thing I ever wanted to do or could imagine me doing was being a preacher. As a matter of fact, I would have rather been a ditch digger. I would have been, rather been an undertaker. You, you name the job that you don't want to do, and I would have done it rather than preaching because it was scary. But you don't actually have to be a preacher to preach. One of the most beautiful videos that I saw, and, and hopefully you saw it here a few weeks ago, on Operation Christmas Child, was as they were delivering these boxes to these little kids, there was a lady there, and you could tell it was probably in some South American country. The church they were, were in was just this tin roof, 
And this lady, she clearly was probably almost as poor as the kids, but she had gathered the kids together, and these kids were special needs kids, and she was teaching them to sing, actually, a simple Bible song. And I've discovered that whether it's a a, a lady teaching kids, a preacher preaching to a church, it's all the same. You have the same Bible, the same gospel, and to see the joy in those kids' heart when they hear the good news of Jesus Christ being told to them, some of them for the very first time. It's not rocket science, but everyone has a part in it. And so I thought, well, if I can't teach kids or if I'm not preaching, then, you know, why do I really attend church? I I saw church as attending. But think about it like this. Think about the guy jumping out of the plane there. Can you imagine him trying to fly the plane and jump out of the plane at the same time? It doesn't really work. Can you imagine him trying to jump out of the plane, get down, start up the submarine, float the submarine to the top? No, it's not a one-man show. And sometimes we think church is someone else feeding us. And that is true to some degree. But everyone in the church has been gifted. And everyone is a critical part of proclaiming and preaching the gospel. Whether you're a greeter at the door, whether you're someone that has no official capacity whatsoever, but you look around and you see someone that's hurting and you have the gift of mercy and you go up to them and you talk to them, or if you're a leader, a youth leader, a small group leader, there is a part to be played. But it isn't, if you'll notice in this picture once again, This isn't just a random getting together, kick back, let's have some coffee sort of deal. You're a part of proclaiming the gospel. There is a purpose. Some people see church or or this purpose as just kicking back and having fellowship. But I got to tell you, I've met some special forces uh, in my life. Some of the greatest men and women that you will ever meet. They make some of the greatest sacrifices for us that you will never know about. But what they always tell me is this. Some of their closest relationships are with the other men and women they serve with because their life depends on it. They've been through the most grueling of training, the most grueling of of missions in the past, and, and they have this incredible bond. But they don't describe the random guy who's living next door to them on base or even in in the barracks, in a general military barracks, in the same way. It's the people serving together. If you want to truly understand what Blue Mountain Baptist Church is about, if you really want to understand what Christ is about, you have to get into the game. You have to make a decision to be a part of it. You have to make a decision. Maybe your, your gift is giving, and you have to make a decision to sacrifice, not for Operation Christmas Child, but to pay the electric bill here so that teachers can go downstairs and, and teach children so that we have carpet rather than wood floors or, or those sorts of things. The very mundane stuff is just as important because you're a part of that process. And when other things come up, whether it's building projects, teaching, whether it's going on mission trips, whether it's just simply being a part of a small group, not because you love small groups, but because you want to encourage others and you you know you need to be a part of a family. 
all of that goes into proclaiming the gospel. Because I could preach here this morning, but if you're not here and some random person walks in the door, they're like, well, this is kind of (laughs) awkward. You're going to preach to one. No, even your presence here is a part of proclaiming the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's how it works. Now, I wish Jesus had said, you know what, here's how I'm going to explain what my purpose is for the world. Uh, I'm just going to write an email, and someday when you invent email, I'm going to send out an email to everyone. Everyone in the world gets it. You either hit yes or no, and we're done. None of this sacrificing money, time, effort, fellowship. I love the fellowship, but... Yeah, Baptists probably eat too many donuts to begin with. So we're just going to go with the email. He didn't do that. He chose to have us all work together to audibly pre- preach and proclaim the gospel. In verse 15, he says the final how here, and how are they to preach unless they are sent? Wow. You want to talk about scary conversation. When I first talked about uh, Judy and I leaving our home in Texas, and I, I had to tell our parents, my parents weren't so bad because, you know, they're my parents. They, they still got to love me. But having that conversation with my in-laws, I did not look forward to that because I could just imagine what they were thinking this guy who married their daughter is now doing to them. I was taking their daughter 2,000 miles away from them. And I did not look forward to having that conversation. But at some point, someone's got to go. And yeah, we have YouTube, (laughs) we have the internet, but it's not quite the same. Live and in person, because live and in person, you can actually examine a person's heart, their life. And we often fail to do that today. People believe a false message just based upon a word proclaimed, but you have to look at their whole life. Is this true? And you examine it according to God's word. So at some point, a person has to go, and the question is this. Maybe that person is you. Now, if you're like me, and I was in your spot when I heard a preacher preach that one time, I was getting real small in my seat. I was like down behind my seat, like I'm going to leave. I'm going to sneak out. Hopefully you won't talk. Because I was like, I'm not going to Africa. I can't speak African. I thought that was a language then. And so I'm not a preacher. You can just move on. I'll wait for next week. This isn't for me. But here's the deal. The preaching, once again, is basically to a large group of people or a larger group of people. It's not formal preaching. You, You actually rarely... In fact, what I'm doing right now, now, you don't see lined out or laid out in Scripture. Like 20 minutes after some worship songs and you close in prayer and have announcements, that's not in Scripture. Uh, If we were doing like we're doing in Scripture, uh, we'd be in someone's house, and I could preach all night long if I wanted. Yeah, that happens. And we'd have a meal, we would hang out, and there would only be about 20, 30 of us, however many people we could shoehorn into someone's house. But that's the way it was. And we might be in in a public place. But the question is this, is God calling you, is God convicting you more appropriately that you need to proclaim the gospel to your neighbor, to the kids downstairs, to the people at work, to your own children, to your own spouse, to your own family? 
at some point you have to be bold enough to speak up for what you believe. Are you the one that God wants to send? And then he closes verse 15 with, as it is written, how beautiful. He changes the how from a question to a statement. He says, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. I've heard a lot of preachers, some you wouldn't like, some you would like, that guy's too old school. The hellfire and brimstone preachers, occasionally I like to hear those guys. They're just, they're doing everything wrong according to the millennials today, right? They're in a suit and tie and they're screaming and they're yelling, they're working up a sweat. They've actually got an old-fashioned hanky and they're just, they're bringing it, right? They're just, they're preaching the gospel in their own way. And occasionally I like to hear that because you know what? It tells me I'm not alone. Someone else still understands that, that the basics still exist. There is a God. He loves us, but we've sinned. He desires that we repent of our sins and come to know him as Lord. And the, the message is the same. It might be delivered stylistically different. But how beautiful is that message that someone still stands up and proclaims truth in a society where you almost can do literally anything other than preach this book. Truly. Your behavior, uh, your uh, personal life, whatever it may be, it's pretty much accepted today other than actually taking a stand and proclaiming this is what God's word says. And how beautiful are those feet when you see someone make the decision to turn and trust Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Can you imagine if you're here today and you tr have trusted Jesus Christ, take just a second and imagine what your life would be like without that relationship of knowing Jesus. Think about purpose, hope, joy, peace. Imagine having that all ripped away. What if the people who came to you and told you didn't? What if the people behind them that were supporting them with money, finances, love, encouragement, sacrifice, what if they didn't do any of that? What would your life be like? I can't, I can't even really imagine that in my own life. How beautiful are the feet of those who came and proclaimed the good news to me. Verse 16, but they will, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So the Apostle Paul, once again, is about to start uh, quoting scripture. And he, his scripture in his day might have been the gospels. They might have been actually written down. But he's quoting specifically from what we would call the Old Testament. He quotes Isaiah and Deuteronomy a number of times in the following verses. And he uses that to proclaim the gospel. And the problem, once again, that Paul had addressed earlier in chapter 9 and 10 was this. A great number of the Jews during Paul's day had not obeyed the gospel. And he's trying to, to explain to those who are hearing this letter when it arrives in Rome, the church is made up of both Gentiles and some Jews, but a great number had, had walked away and not believed. And he's trying to explain what's going on here. And he says, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. And notice, obeying the gospel 
means believing and trusting in it. He says, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So back in the day, Isaiah is proclaiming uh, a repentance, a message of repentance, turning back to the Lord, to the northern kingdom, Israel, as well as to the south. And he's living in the day when Assyria comes in and wipes out the northern kingdom. And finally, they're taken off into captivity. And Isaiah lives through that time. And he's proclaiming this, this message that is telling the people, listen, come back to the Lord. Don't follow other gods. Otherwise, there's going to be this judgment. And Jesus quotes this in verse uh, 36 of John chapter 12. He says this, While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may come or may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though, they, though he had done many signs before them, they still not, did not believe in him so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? There's this amazing hard-heartedness, I would say. Even when Jesus was on earth physically, was doing literally so many miracles that they couldn't all be written down for a number of years, not like in some house somewhere, hidden behind a, a sheet or, or in some secret way. Jesus was doing public miracles of raising the dead, healing the sick, not stuff that was kind of, well, is that a miracle or is it not? No, he was doing this, and they still wouldn't believe. And he quotes Isaiah. And the key is this. They wouldn't believe even his word. And so in verse 17, he says, So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And he's referring, actually, to this passage in Isaiah. Christ is being proclaimed through all the Old Testament. I don't know about you, but I have a few friends. They look at me, and they just kind of mess with me, and they go, Scott, tell you what, right now, I'll believe in Jesus. I just want a miracle. Turn this chicken into a dog. Do it. I'll believe. Like, I'd like to see that, too. <laughs> but I don't think God's going to do it. I don't think he's my trick uh, puppet here. Um, well, how about, you know, uh, something like a, a healing, a divine miracle of, of someone who is, who is hospitalized? I'll take that, and then I'll believe. Think about it like this. What if you were in the very presence of God? Would you still need faith to believe in his word? Yeah, you do. Adam and Eve were walking in the garden with the Lord. His very presence, there wasn't even sin in the world. And then they were confronted with a choice to believe God's commands as being true and good for them or to believe a lie presented to them by Satan. They had to have faith in God's word, even though his very presence had been dwelling with them in the garden. No matter what it is, even when Jesus was alive, as we just read, or even today, it, miracles are not the way people come to faith. They just simply are not. Ultimately, it, it might bring them to a point where they're listening and, and willing to believe, but there is some content that you have to either agree with or disagree with, accept or reject. He says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. 
This is it. The word of Christ. If you want faith, God's not some trick pony. He's given you his word. And that's how you have or will come to faith. Yes, his Holy Spirit will move in your life, but ultimately gets down to God's word. Verse 18, he, he continues on. He says, but I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. If, if your friends say, well, I'm, I'm not really going to read the Bible. Uh, I guess it's just not for me. Well, guess what? Even the Bible says, you know what? They can't avoid it. Because the Apostle Paul quotes Psalm 19 here. And the quote is this, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. Creation itself, once again, Paul is quoting here from Psalm 19. He had quoted earlier in the earlier chapters of Romans. Everyone knows about God, at least to a little bit. The very creation testifies that there is a God in heaven who created us. They declare the glory of God in his handiwork. They can't avoid it. They know it. Verse 18, once again, but I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out into all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. If you've ever wondered, what about the guy in Africa that's never heard the gospel? What about the guy in the, on, on the Amazon River, some tribesman somewhere? Yeah, they've heard enough just from creation. And elsewhere in scripture, it says, God is calling people to himself. And they, if they respond, he will reveal himself. It's the idea that everyone is held accountable to God. Whether it's the deepest, dar darkest part of Africa or, or the Amazon or here in Oregon, where very few people have actually opened the Bible they have heard. Verse 19, but I ask you, did not Israel, or did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I've shown myself to those who did not ask for me. This crazy idea in verse 19 that someone would actually be angry and jealous, and yet claim they don't understand it's kind of like this have you ever had someone say get mad about your faith like you're making a judgment on them whether it's their sexual orientation whether it's their uh, just general belief whatever the case and they get angry and you're wondering like why are they angry because today the common belief is this that everyone can have their own opinion and you have the right to your opinion, and I have the right to my opinion, and we shouldn't judge one another. But the very people who are claiming that we shouldn't judge one another really get angry when you actually make a claim yourself as if it doesn't agree with them. It, it's kind of crazy. And you see, here's the deal. When Jesus came and proclaimed the gospel, he says, I didn't come to condemn the world. The world stands condemned already. And so when you present the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, whether it was to Israel back in the day where they were trying to present the truth of God and, and his hope, their hope for the future, why would you get upset if you 
basically believe the other people are just simply ignorant and, and they don't really understand. You have the right answer, they don't. Why would you be angry? You'd just be like, ah, they're, they're fools, they're idiots. We'll, we'll leave them be. But they got jealous and they got angry for those who were actually daring to say they were wrong and daring to actually say, repent, turn back to God. They didn't just say, oh, you can believe whatever you want to believe. I'll believe what I want to believe. The reason being is simply this. There is a standard. And when you bring up that standard, this ultimate standard that God has created, people get angry. They do so, especially when they see it in your life. It's not just a truth, but they see someone living it out. Because as you live it out, it calls into judgment their behavior and their standard of life. It just does. You're not intentionally doing it. You're just following the Lord. And you're not participating in or going maybe some of the same places they are. How many in here have ever been invited to a bar where a bunch of people are going out to get drunk? And you're like, eh, that's not me. You don't, even, you don't even bring up the gospel. You're not throwing them under the bus. You're just like, I don't want to be a part of that. They get angry. You would think they would just go, oh, yeah, go do whatever you do. That happened to me a lot when I was in the pharmaceutical industry. It happened to me a lot when I was in college. It's weird. You would think people would just go, okay, do whatever you want. But here, Isaiah says this in verse 20, and then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me, and I've shown myself to those who did not ask for me. And finally, in verse 21, he says, but of Israel, he says, all day long I've held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. I'll just simply close with this. You can read for yourself what happened to Israel and God's judgment on them, as well as Judah eventually in 586 B.C. The entire nation of Israel, north and south, were wiped out. And God brought his wrath through other evil people, and he judged them in some of the most horrific ways imaginable. But it wasn't to wipe them out. He was holding on to a remnant of people who did believe. But they had to go through a lot of stuff during that judgment. And during it all, God was holding out his hand to them, to a disobedient and contrary people. All day long, God is calling them, even when they're disobedient. If you're here today and you've heard the gospel before, and you're like, nah, it's not for me, or I just don't know if I really want to commit fully to all of that, or I just, there's so many questions that I have about the Bible and history. Is it really true? Let's just get down to the very basics. It's you and God, not you, me, and God. It's you and God, and it's a decision. The very decision that we start with, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You might have lots of questions about ancient Israel, uh, Adam and Eve, Noah, whatever the case may be. And, and you've used those to, to keep the gospel at arm's length up until today. But at the end of the day, there are certain facts that you do know. 
And that is, there is a creator. You can just look up, look out, and see a creator. You can see his handiwork. And you know your own heart. Even if you have kids, you you know there is a right and a wrong that exists. And it's not just because you said so, even though that's what you tell your kids. There is an ultimate standard of right and wrong. And you've messed up. And so have I. The Bible calls that sin. But this creator loves you. And he had a solution for that sin, and his name was Jesus. And Jesus was a man in history, historically. He lived, he died, an eyewitness testimony, he rose again. And this God who's revealed himself not only in Jesus, but in his word, says, all you got to do, and not only all you have to do, it's the only thing you can do, is let me take care of it. You can't earn your way to the salvation. You can't wipe it out on your own. You can ask for forgiveness a million times on your own, but it's still, it's still there. It still has happened. The only one who's will, who will, is willing and can wipe away the sin and forgive the sin is the one who paid the price for your sin and mine. And that's Jesus. And all you got to do is call on his name. Believe that he rose from the dead and confess him as Lord. Follow him. That's it. Not be baptized, not go to a church a thousand times, not do certain sacraments, not go here or there. Just call in the name of the Lord. What's holding you back? I pray you make that decision today. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we praise you. There are so many here that uh, I know are saved and so many here that have been in support of preaching this message. And I, and I thank you for them. I pray they'll be even more engaged, realizing it, it's not rocket science. It's some basic stuff of gathering together and being a part of a team, a kingdom even, on mission for you. But there are a few here today, and only you know them. But you know that that they have not made this decision. And, And the great thing is you don't force us, you don't twist our arms. But your Holy Spirit does convict and draws them. I just pray they'd be bold enough and brave enough to make that decision, that final leap of faith, to call on you as Lord. There are no magic words, Father. They in their heart right now can just simply cry out to you to save them, to forgive them. And you promise everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If they do that, they can know with full assurance right now that they have life eternal and life abundant this very moment. I just pray they'll make that decision. Thank you for this church family. Thank you for the opportunity to proclaim your word where it really costs us very little. We lift up all those around the world that are paying such a high price to proclaim your word. In Jesus' name, we ask all of this. Amen.